Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, guys and girls. The program you are about to hear will be both fun and educational, but it is not a substitute for medical advice. Although we are doctors, we are not your doctors. Hello, and welcome to Travel Medicine. As always, I'm your friendly neighborhood internal medicine doc, Dr. J. Hey, Dr. Santosh here, pediatric infectious disease doc and sometime researcher. Hey, I'm not working tonight, so in the ER, so your friendly <laughs> ER doc is hanging out with his buddies. That would of Wait. course be Dr. Ward, our yeah, medical wanna... member. Dr. Ward. <laughs> you you want to tell him your name? <laughs> Came off a night shift. Not enough sleep. Uh, it's me, Dr. Ward. <laughs> Hooray for hospitals, full of physicians so methodical. They're treating all of your various diseases, heartaches to sneezes, and that's what we'll cover today. Hooray for parody law! (laughs) (laughs) I feel like sometimes with our parodies, it's like the CIA trace in movies, where they're like, almost, almost, oh, he stopped yeah. it just the amount of seconds where we can't sue. Why are you singing the musical Hospitals to the background, or I should say tune Hollywood from, I can't remember what musical? Well, I was thinking about shows in general, and there's an actual medical Broadway show that someone is in the midst of creating that what? I saw on TikTok. And I wish I could send you a link to it, but I'm old and don't know how to find it again. So oh, no. <laughs> it, it starts off with somebody at an operating table who bursts into song. And if that's not just how I picture my everyday going, I wouldn't even know what else to say to you. But it's not the first time that this has occurred. On the evening of October 10th, 1947, a medical musical opened that was the hottest ticket in town 
written by none other than Rodgers and Hammerstein. Did you know oh, wow. that Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote a medical musical? <laughs> no, they didn't. I thought Scrubs was the first time that yeah, there. I thought we were gonna highlight. Yeah, I thought we were gonna highlight your favorite, Josh. Your the the Scrubs musical episode. They made a musical episode. Oh, oh, oh my gosh! I'm uh, out of it. <laughs> Rogers and Hammerstein wrote a. Now, granted, the purpose of it was less about medicine specifically and more about an everyman allegory with the protagonist being a doctor you know as oh. every man is <laughs> like like four percent of us are sure right okay. <laughs> but yeah so the title of this 1947 production was allegro it was it it set a lot of records but not all of them were good in oh. fact Okay. In fact, this was only the fourth show put together by Rodgers and Hammerstein, and it was it sold huge amounts of opening tickets, making $750,000 in, you know, 1940s. Whoa, okay. But critics hated it. Oh, it just no. got it got so <laughs> badly review bombed that they just kind of wiped it from society's memory. And it's it's essentially a Hallmark movie. <laughs> a Hallmark movie uh, is usually a a big city doctor lawyer person goes to a small town and <laughs> finds out that the big city life, yeah. working eighty hours a week, is BS, and you fall in love with the local small town, um, you know, whatever gender. <laughs> okay, person. sure. All right, you. I'm going to describe. The plot of Is this that what show. Happens here? I'm going <laughs> to describe the plot of this show, Ward, and you tell me if you think it would fit in on the Hallmark Channel. All right. And just okay. for context, Rogers, his brother and father both practiced medicine, and Hammerstein had wanted to write a medical themed show. So, oh, okay. So this was so. Was... Joe, it follows a young physician from birth to burnout or oh. midlife crisis. All right. All right. At age 35. That's the midlife crisis. So, yeah. Joe. A young physician is born. You watch him grow up, go to prom, marry his high school sweetheart, Jenny. And then the the dramatic conflict is Jenny wants Joe to abandon the idea of joining his father's small town practice and instead move to the big city for a better life and more lucrative living. Oh, okay. Convinced that her son is marrying the wrong woman, Joe's deeply disappointed mother dies of a heart attack. Whoa. <laughs> Act yeah, one. Sound... Act <laughs> one close. That is okay. very hallmark Act okay, two. Okay, a dead a dead some a dead close relative is definitely a hallmark thing. I well, will, no, this I is agree with uh, you it's feeling a little bit Bollywood actually, right? And now. to go to the big city. Okay. Then amid the glittering lights and fascinating people of the big city, yeah. Joe and Jenny attend a whirlwind of parties and ribbon cuttings, soliciting donors to fund new patient pavilions at the hospital. Joe okay. makes a mint giving vitamin injections to the worried and wealthy well, but Jenny feels <laughs> neglected and occupies her time by having an affair with the chairman of the hospital trustee board. Dun, dun, dun. Of course, Jenny's found out. Joe ends up breaking up with her and resigns from the hospital to go back to the small town. The trustee says, explains Joe's resignation by telling them Joe is sick, 
Joe overhears the remark and says, tell them I'm just getting well. And the stage direction then says that he walks away into the sunlight, joined by his adoring nurse, Emily, and his best friend, Charlie Townsend. Oh, okay. I have some issues with the plot, but (laughs) I can see see why the critics... Oh, oh, the critics. So at the time, one of the New Yorker's most acerbic critics called it not only a shocking disappointment, but then ridiculed all of Joe's patients as suffering from alcoholism, nymphomania, locomotor ataxia, and echolalia, which honestly is pretty impressive for a critic to be you know, naming that many various conditions. Wow. Yeah, wait, absolutely. You, okay, wait, so, I mean, that part I don't agree with. So why shame, why shame, you know, some of these are not real medical conditions, I don't think. But why shame medical conditions? Well, he said the Joe's wealthy patients didn't have real diseases. They were sex-crazed, alcoholics. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Echo... Echolalia, meaning compulsive repetition of idiotic lines, and the locomotor and locomotor ataxia, as seen in syphilis, <laughs> from their in from their incomplete, uncoordinated ability to shamble about the stage. So he used real medical <laughs> conditions to describe okay. terrible performances. Yeah. Oh man! At the same time, shaming all these people with echolalia <laughs> and locomotor ataxia. Yeah, because those are, I mean, they're pretty bad. He's describing symptoms, not actual diseases. But, you know, those those types of symptoms portend some pretty scary, like degenerative or, or you know, frightening kind of things that are going on with the brain. Um, so just a fun little footnote to this is that <laughs> one of the interns that oscar hammerstein employed was a 17 year old kid who was a gopher during the production of allegro this stage play that completely bombed and the name (laughs) of that intern was stephen sondheim oh okay (laughs) all right (laughs) that's pretty good i like that well let me ask you this um so this relates to uh, scrubs as well I think they think doctors' lives are way more glamorous and wealthy than they actually are. Like, when we were young doctors, did we go to all those ribbon cuttings and... (laughs) Well, so it depends on what kind of doctor you want to be, right? If Because going to the big city doesn't mean that you all of a sudden change your population, right? You can take care of the same sorts of people um, or you can choose if you want to and it, it takes a lot of energy but just like you can climb the social ladder in any other profession you can do the same thing with medicine but you have to try like you don't fall into those practices i don't have time to do most of that stuff <laughs> and and i mean i'm sorry um general public my hospital no, was not no. nearly as, uh, how should I put this, <laughs> traditionally attractive or uh, as yeah. scrubs. <laughs> well, and I don't think it changed too much, you know, from the 50s to now, except that, you know, the amount of money flowing through the system is greatly changed. But Lord, if you're not attending hospital galas, are you even practicing medicine? <laughs> Stop shaming Dr. Ward. <laughs> you stop it. <laughs> now, 
Disease, I, disease has always been a part of the theater, sometimes as an actor, sometimes as a member of the crew. Yeah. So let's talk about some examples first on stage uh, mm-hmm. before we go behind to where I know you liked to work in production. I wanted to just quickly back to Allegro. I'm a little surprised, you know, the ribbon cuttings and high society stuff aside, I'm a little surprised at how uh, how topical all of this stuff still is, um, you know, having populations of, you know, worried, wealthy, well, and doctors who give these, you know, stupid, you know, injections and stuff or, you know, vitamin injections and things. And that's still around, you know, and, and it's sometimes it, in that literal form. Yeah. But yeah exactly. Let's, let's talk anyway. about disease on in front of house front stage, which is where ward and I like to reside. Oh, yeah. Uh, of course, one of the most famous examples I think we could name of disease represented in Broadway is Rent. Mm. Um, and did you know the 1996 musical Rent is based on an 1896 opera, La Boheme? That I didn't know. I, they, they, that was, that, that they talked about that because it is essentially, it's about a group of marginalized people um, living a quote-unquote bohemian life yeah i i did learn about it only because um i'm gonna sound way more posh than i actually am but i got to do a school trip when i was a kid um and one of the musicals we saw was rent and we got to do a little mini as a high school theater nerd outing um we got to have a quick like you know q and a uh with the folks the director had actually passed away now or the the uh composer i guess that who created it had actually passed away i think by that time from aids um but we got to ask questions and they gave us a little bit of the history yeah so the the difference is as you noted ward it's about a group of marginalized people in both cases artists Uh, struggling with disease and it happens to be the disease of the time so in la boheme it's tuberculosis and Mm. in rent it's hiv the disease plays a fairly large role when two of the main characters have a romantic relationship fight for months and separate only to be brought back together when one of them falls ill with said disease rent is actually the happier ending of <laughs> of those oh, outcomes. So, wait, how was yeah. that less happy in Level Ham? I'm now I'm curious. <laughs> uh, well, spoiler <laughs> alert. Do they, do they all get sure. it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so friends, Ham, yeah. The friends are brought back together by Mimi's failing health in La Bohème. Uh, and she dies, and one or two others begin to get sick in La Bohème while in Rent. The sound of Roger's voice is enough to keep her alive. Wow. Oh. Wow. Okay. So yeah, because... Rent is the uplifting version. Yeah, so I remember there there is one, because the character Angel does pass away um, in the middle of, of Rent. But yeah, one of the others is kind of revived, um, you know, by... You know, please, please stay alive. And then, you know, it ends before anybody else can die. (laughs) Well, you know what? Medically speaking, quite plausible that Mimi is still with us if she contracted HIV in the mid-90s. Yes. Because Uh, treatment really uh, improved. If she was able to get help. That's the big one. 
Let's talk about living with HIV in in the 90s versus living with tuberculosis in the 1800s or 1890s. <laughs> uh, just quick aside, Josh, tuberculosis, not gone, not even a little. <laughs> but we, the we... treatments, but the treatments and the life yes. expectancy of people with it have significantly changed since the late 1800s. That's fair. Yes. As as long as, um, you know, we talk about access. But right now, you know, folks who are in any kind of like poverty situation and countries that don't, you know, don't disperse these medications properly or that kind of a thing, uh, we still have lots of death from TB. So um, it's maybe not as prominent as it once was, but it's it's definitely still around. HIV is still around too. But- and HIV is still around. Absolutely. Yeah. But in both cases, you gloomy gusses, we now have a number of medications <laughs> yeah. that do allow people to not just survive, but in some cases thrive, even with these conditions that are chronic. So Dr. Santosh mentioned that, you know, not to sound posh, that they went to the musical rent. I remember in the ninth, in the mid-90s, uh, you guys remember yeah. the 90s? It was like, you know, white flight, urban decay, mm-hmm. AIDS. Yeah, yeah. That was all Abs- captured in Rent, and yes. it was definitely on you know on the grittier side of musicals. I can't I can't think of another one from that era that was that gritty. Yeah, instead of escapism, they that was you know that was one of the the, um, the, the that was one of the musicals where they wanted to bring the message to you. Yeah, it was so, it was tough to watch. So if I had to ask you guys to name some of your other memorable medical performances on Broadway. What else could you think of? What about that barber who um, made people into pies where um, Angela Lansbury played? Sweeney Todd? Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. <laughs> and, and, and surgeons were barbers. Yeah. Surgeons were barbers. And what sort of diseases would you be subject to if you consumed human pies? Oh, boy. It depends <laughs> on the human. <laughs> I mean, if, if it wasn't well cooked? Sure. That's the, sure. That's the issue. Yeah, yeah. It's poorly, it was... poorly prepared oh. corpse flesh. So <laughs> human sashimi would probably give you any and every uh, bloodborne illness, and yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> hepatitis, um, syphilis, probably. Well, it depends. Yeah, on Yeah, and yeah. you know, all, all of the bacteria that's on the skin. So Staph aureus, you know, would cause food poisoning, and you know, invasive streptococci. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, salmonella! You can't use you can't use raw human um, forks with, with the right. Forks, yes, yeah. because it's uh, well, yeah. Especially if you gave them, yeah, like if you use the intestines. <laughs> so there you have it, folks. Sweeney Todd, one of my personal favorite shows, no longer believable because the hygiene would have killed people long before. <laughs> if if the victims had any kind of uh, prion disease, you know, and used the brain in there, you could pass on. You know, like Mad Cow or Kurtzfeld Jacobs, that would be fun. Or like, what was the one that the um, uh, Kuru, I think, was the cannibals? Yeah. In, yeah. So, uh, in Papua New Guinea, yeah. So a lot of diseases could be obtained from mass consumption. All right. What are some other famous medical moments in Broadway? Uh, let's see. Mental Health, Sunset Boulevard, uh, when she's like going crazy. I think they take her to an asylum at the end, don't they? Next to normal, is that what it's called? Yeah. So if you're oh, thinking gotcha. about if you're thinking about mental health musicals, 2008's Next to Normal 
is brought to mind about a woman who struggles with bipolar disorder. And Santosh, I believe you formed an attachment to one of the songs right off the bat called... (laughs) Yeah, so this is Who's Crazy slash My Psychopharmacologist and I... Uh, and I, I guess th- th- it, it's it's a back and forth, uh, maybe a trio. I think there's a husband talking about losing his wife to mental health. There's the wife who is you know struggling with bipolar disorder, and then her doctor, the psychopharmacologist. Um, very, I think, in a mean spirited way, uh, you know, talking you know, about the, the patient and really giving a bad impression of, you know, a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Oh no. Are they shaming um, medical, medical it, conditions? It, well, it's, it's kind of highlighting the extreme cases. So I, you know, a little bit of an aside, psychopharmacology works a lot of the time. Okay. You, many, many people, you know, you know, it's a single antidepressant or something like that. It works. People get better. They go to therapy, but yeah, on the edge or extreme cases, you have to try a lot of different medications and combinations and this kind of a thing. And so this one highlights one of those extreme cases where she's going through multiple medications and And singing about them, which is even more impressive. Yeah. And a rather, you know, portrayed as a cold detached psychiatrist or psychopharmacologist who is updating us on her progress. I'm sorry. And and just by hearing this song title, my psychopharmacologist and I, is this a comedy? Like a, Oh no, no. No, This one is dark. Okay. So it's not a parody comedy. So imagine Ward, if you had to sing your notes as you wrote them down. Oh God. That's, yeah. that's very dark. Can I play a little bit? Is it okay? Yeah, or are we by gonna... all means. So this is the husband. So I'll fade a little bit there. It sounds like almost every other musical I want song. What well, <laughs> I hear? It, it's a little bit. Um, here we go. Let's. Okay, here's here's it. Oblong white ones, the white ones with the round yellow ones, but not the trapezoidal green ones. <laughs> Split the green ones into thirds with a tiny chisel. Use a mortar and pestle. My psychopharmacologist and I. It's like an odd romance, intense and very intimate. We do our dance. My So you hear the. At the very beginning, the husband is lamenting that, you know, I I know that's the person who's living with bipolar, but I feel like I'm, you know, getting impacted by it. Which is um, very relatable to almost any re- caregiver. Yes. Yeah. You can get care caregiver fatigue. Um, the the woman, the the uh, I can't remember her the character's name, but she s- breaks in and talks about it. And then in the background ward, just like you hard. That's that voice dictating, basically. Um, so 
in this case, it is a pharmacist, but you'll you'll see as they go along, it's the person's actually prescribing. So it's probably more like psychiatrist and I, but it doesn't have the same like rhythm of my psychopharmacologist and I. <laughs> I was going to say, they're not allowed to prescribe. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So basically throughout this song, you hear how she reacts to all of these combinations of, you know, antidepressants, uh, mood stabilizers, antipsychotics. They don't name them by chance, but they go through the litany of effects, side effects. And the one thing I hate about this song, Josh, because, oh, and you know, this one isn't a musical, but One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, right? Um, it paints uh, psychiatry and mental health professionals in such a bad light of like, oh, we're just, you know, experimenting and we don't have any solutions. Um, and in the end, you know, the, the woman... Uh, I think has a, a final line in there of like, I don't feel like myself. In fact, I don't feel anything. And you hear the the psychopharmacologist say, "Patient stable," and like, that's not well. No. <laughs> for the 1950s, that was you know. I guess so, but this was 2008. So you know, I I know they're you know they're throwing back, but. So it you was, have caregiver fatigue, you have patients being confused about medications, frequent adjustments. I mean, separate from the mental health issues about which this is dedicated, there's a medical musical right there. That could relate to almost any condition. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, then, of course, if we go with my favorite, it's just a quick aside in Guys and Dolls, a 1950s what? musical. Uh <laughs> I thought I knew everything about Guys and Dolls. Tell me. So for those of you not familiar, it's about a gambler who falls for a woman on the right side of the tracks and their love story. Now <laughs> there is an uptown girl? <laughs> she's <laughs> she's been living in a downtown world. <laughs> but there's a subplot with two other couples, one of who uh, desperately wants to get married, and she has a song called Adelaide's Lament. Uh, very, very unique voice, which I will give you a, a brief sample of. Says here, the average unmarried female, basically insecure, due to some long frustration, may react with psychosomatic symptoms difficult to endure affecting the upper respiratory tract in other words just from waiting around for that plain little band of gold a person could develop a cold <laughs> so she talks about stress-induced immunocompromise and basically stressing yourself to the point of being sick. Another pretty common one. I know that doesn't sound like anything particularly impressive, but my favorite line in it is, you can spray her wherever you figure the streptococci lurk. You can give her a shot for whatever she's got, but it just won't work. If she's tired of getting the fish eye from the hotel clerk, a poison can develop a cold and just oh. kudos for working streptococci 
into a Broadway lyric. So this is still a mental health. I mean, I, she's basically describing somatic disease, right? She, I mean, she called it out and said, hey, this is somatic. Well, it's a little bit, but I will say that, you know, we had to go back and forth in medical science to fully understand this. But now it's fairly clear that mental and emotional distress, depression especially, does also depress, so to speak, the uh, more vulnerable to, you know, communicable diseases. I'll give you a perfect example of a non-communicable disease. Uh Takasubo cardiomyopathy or stress-induced cardiomyopathy. Bad enough stress can literally cause a heart attack. Okay, this is the saddest story. Yes, absolutely, absolutely true. And they called it, well, it's a heartbreak, heart attack. I took care of someone um, who did performed CPR on their spouse of, you know, decades and decades. And Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. That person had some chest discomfort. And we actually did EKG, she had abnormal EKGs and abnormal cardiac enzymes that indicated a myocardial infarction. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then we, we cast that person and clean arteries. And this was yeah. just from. D- just by chance during imaging, like the echocardiogram. So Takotsubo, we've, we've spoken about it before. Takotsubo, I believe, is octopus box, Josh, or octopus trap. Do you remember if the heart looked like that? Did it, did it have that weird shape to it, Ward? So the echo will be abnormal, but it, it, it's a transient or a temporary condition. It actually reverses itself after that, yeah. that, that spell is over. Well, with therapy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. But what I'm getting at is, okay, but this woman, I feel like some of these old-timey musicals do make me cringe a little bit. This character uh, is a little bit being written off as a anxious, um, somatic person who just gets all these symptoms, right? Because if you give her a shot for whatever she's got, it won't work. Which is a perfect example of something like, say, uh, an anxiety disorder or a fibromyalgia. So as you said, somatic-based symptoms. But she's she's doing her research. She's got medical books and WebMD of the 1940s in front of her. (laughs) So no, a, lot of, a lot of these, um, I mean, I, I think the dramatic tension a lot of times does come from anxiety and you feel that character's anxiety and you can relate to it. Um, a lot of the dramatic tension from these older musicals come from conditions that are, I don't know, that, that, 
that we have a different point of view and the w- different way of looking at it. like nymphomania that you alluded to in a pre- previous musical mm-hmm. I mean, that's not really i mean that's that's viewed at very differently um, well nowadays. let's let's look at a different front of stage ward you're a fairly regular performer in an improv group correct mhm so what sort of medical issues if any come up during your performances Life theater in in the last three years, can you guess what's been a big issue? Knee problems from all those standing <laughs> ovations. Um, yes, in my case. Thank you, Josh. But COVID, I mean, COVID has oh, been wow. the biggest hey. issue. In, um... Dr. Ward just yes-anded you, and I love that. <laughs> so COVID has been the, it, it is the elephant in the room in the last few years. I, You know, performers went in the, when the pandemic first took a little dip, we're performing on stage with plastic d- d- plastic sheaths between them and the audience. Some of them were wearing masks, which, you know, in a live performance where you have to look at people's facial expressions is incredibly difficult. Um, even even to this day, I think there was a recent article about a an actress who wore, chose to wear a mask to the one of the awards, Academy Awards, or one of the um, um, Screen Actor Guild's awards, and she caught some flack. And she said, you know what? This is not a political statement because if I test positive for COVID, I'm out of work for, I'm like off the site for a good, you know, 10 days. Yeah, absolutely. And in a theater, in an enclosed space where people are um, enunciating and (laughs) being big, loud, and funny, Oh my gosh, that COVID is flying out. And mm-hmm. yeah, it, it spreads like wildfire. So let's talk then a little bit about how COVID has worked its way into the theater because it has. And there's actually a firm now that addresses this specific problem called infectious economics. Oh. <laughs> oh, wait, economics though? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, founded by Blythe Adamson, it, an infectious disease epidemiologist and economist. Oh, okay. It's a firm helping Broadway productions to build COVID-19 protocols and infectious protocols into their workday. So during the active pandemic, when Broadway was just starting to reopen, some of the things they did included... Uh, They would collect around 60 samples for daily testing and then pool together small parts of each actor. They would pair them off into groups of 20 on the saliva samples and conduct one test on each of the three pools. Three tests, not 60. So they'd, they'd collect 60 samples but only do three tests. If no pool is positive, everyone is clear. If one pool is positive... Only the 20 samples in that pool are individually tested until the positive sample is found. Then you do contact tracing and essentially eject that person or put them on the back bench. Economics meets epidemiology. All right. Yeah. I can tell you um, COVID from personal experience that COVID is incredibly infective in in the performance space. I've I've seen you know it, it, entire performance ensembles wiped out for you know two three weeks because of COVID. Yeah, 
It's any place where you have gatherings like this. So, you know, there was a lot of pushback for this, but religious services, right? Where someone is up there sometimes shouting and talking and several people singing together in a crowd, um, which will aerosolize everything. Um, And then, yes, theater, um, especially if you have any kind of participatory theater where the, um, you know, or comedy, you have a lot of people laughing and, you know, and, you know, spewing uh, particles into the air. And then, uh, you know, the next tier from those were things like, you know, weddings and get togethers and, and things like that. But yeah, these were all, um, I don't know if you guys remember in the height of the pandemic where we had these kind of red zones, yellow zones, green zones in terms of what represented risk. But I, th- I believe and, theaters and was high. And that there. risk is now assessed by a new COVID safety manager position. And that person mm. has to track who's in which room for how long, who submitted a saliva sample for testing and which tests have come back, which goes into a report that looks like a daily stage manager's report on how the show is going, but focused solely on COVID. Oh, uh, Cool as well as recommendations for protocols to even costuming uh, stagehands and costuming like wig departments. So a couple examples uh, for musicians in the orchestra, the wind instruments have to remove their mask to do their job and forceful breathing could create clouds of virus in the air. So, you know, like Mm -hmm. a super spreading saxophone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Flute. uh, Cause I'm, I'm a flutist. It's, uh, you know, the air doesn't even have the chance to go through the instrument. And so for, you know, particles to actually cling to the side of the instrument, uh, it just, it's blowing straight out. So. <laughs> Whereas other instruments like guitars, drum, or keyboard have a much lower risk of transmitting because those people can stay masked. So suggestions, including portable HEPA filters, if space for musicians is poorly ventilated and they can't wear masks, Mm -hmm. of course, frequent hand washing. And I liked explore adding filters to the instruments, like covering the opening of a trombone. Womp, (laughs) womp. Yeah, it's it's possible you have to make a compromise between the quality of the sound that you're getting out and the safety of the people. Um, and this is why in some of these cases, you just have to say, okay, well, production shut down. <laughs> you know? Well, here's where the economics of it come in. I'm going to give you two a choice and you tell me, and there's, there's no wrong answer here. Pretend you have a $30,000 budget to spend on... COVID prevention for an upcoming theater production. It's going to run 12 weeks, eight shows a week. How are you going to use the money? So choice A, you can hire staff to check the temperatures of audience at arrival with fun little temperature guns, do deep <laughs> cleaning of theater surfaces after each show. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I can, I can give you the cost breakdown of that, which will be, let's see, about four people to do it at $20 an hour, four hours a show, eight shows a week, 12, that's about $30,000. Or choice B, you can upgrade your HVAC filters, purchase air filter scrubbers for the least ventilated and most crowded backstage areas and bathrooms, 
Then get some cheap box fans near open windows and doors to bring in more fresh air. And that'll be a massive outlay for the HVAC filters, but the cheap fans offset it and you that costs about 29500 So roughly the same cost. What do you do? Do you hire additional staff or do you upgrade just the areas of theater most at risk? Hmm. I, I don't think choice A wor- <laughs> it does much because... Um, Remember back in the height of the pandemic, we were using temperature guns on everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I got readings that were not compatible with life. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this person should be dead. Yeah. This is a bugaboo that I definitely have. And it's going to put a lot of people who's listening off. But those infrared guns are useless. That was theater. That, you know, that was security theater using those, you know, those things because it's, actors it's, in a theater, it's, <laughs> it's reading surface temperature and that has nothing to do with, you know, core temperature. You will maybe, maybe find people who have a blazing fever, uh, but more than likely you're going to get misreadings that are too high if they just came out of the sun or way, way, way too cold if it's freezing outside. So I, that's why I really don't like choice A. But the other reason I really like choice B is we know that the preventative measures of masking, distancing, and ventilation prevent the vast majority of cases. And it worked in schools. Um, we, we have good data from that now. And I'm pretty sure it would work in a space like this too. Is I, I'm guessing, Josh, this is still a time where everybody would still be keeping their mask on, right? Um, during this time? Oh, several so- theaters made these upgrades during the pandemic. So now as people are no longer masked, you still have air scrubbers and filters in place. Right. So, I mean, it's still good, but I mean, masking along with this is probably great. The only thing, it's not an economic question, but I don't know if the noise, because the, has anybody been in, you know, a true HEPA filtered room? Like these are not quiet machines. So that's the only thing. But yeah, ventilation, and then of course the the regular stuff of masking, and then limiting the you know the number of people who can come in. Um, I'm so, so that glad that you both chose choice B yeah. because <laughs> there is no wrong answer as a health economist, sure. but as a physician, there yes. is a clear correct answer yeah. <laughs> to decrease well, the risk of infection. Yeah. Also, in the theater, just COVID aside, um, upgrading HVAC always a good idea i can tell you if you've ever sat in one of those small black box theaters yeah yeah. no windows (laughs) (laughs) and if you don't have ac if you live in a hot climate um it gets steamy real fast you pack a theater you close those doors and because of soundproofing also uh traps heat inside and then you have stage lights that (laughs) if they're not upgraded to led those are like halogen lights that theater gets steamy. And I remember I was in one theater one time in San Francisco. The only air intake is coming from an alley um, down the street. As Warden Santos have mentioned, with a complex theatrical production, there's numerous hazards separate from what may be sung about, uh, separate from just being enclosed. A falling backdrop. Which is also in a theater. If you want to get really meta, that's what happens in Phantom of the Opera. 
Oh, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You've got a <laughs> falling backdrop is a theater injury, which happened for real during uh, the 2009 Tony Awards for Rock of Ages when it another falling backdrop hit Brett Michaels on the head. Uh, that's no, not oh, to mention that's not to mention rigging and flying hazards, as we've seen in numerous CSI shows. Whenever there's a theater episode, yeah. Uh, and we can start talking about what are some of the kinds of injuries that specific theater people may get, whether they be front of stage like dancers or back like carpenters. And there have been actual studies. One of my favorites, in 1990, the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, NIOSH, received mm-hmm. a request from the Actors' Equity Association to investigate health effects associated with theatrical smoke. You know, so you have fog machines on Broadway. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they want to know what's our risk of things like asthma, Legionnaire's disease. So NIOSH took air samples, as well as administering a question, at four different ongoing Broadway productions using theatrical smoke. Les Mis, Miss Saigon, Phantom of the Opera, and Grand Hotel to look for measurable respiratory effects among performers. And... Uh-huh. The study found that there's no evidence that it's a cause of any sort of asthma, although it can, if not well-maintained, be a risk for infectious disease. Uh, there's sure. a whole report about it. I, I, I mean, if they do three shows a night, you know, five nights a week, that's a lot of smoke. They, I think it's reasonable to look into it and see if it does cause any issues. I'm glad that it doesn't. Yeah, I, I think that's a very fair question. Then you look at the different kinds of performers, and they're subject to a lot of, well, sports injuries. It's a different kind of act. So it's dystonia in different musicians, which is a failure of relaxation of an opposing muscle group. So you can have difficulty drawing a bow across a string slowly and smoothly, uh, which is known as purling. Or French horn players get problems of lip control, which is cracking of the note. So that can affect their actual performance. Uh, For singers, as if you get any kind of infection that affects your vocal cords or a neuromuscular Mm -hmm. disease, you lose your vibrato. Or well, vocal cord functions can go beyond just not singing your, you know, not singing your best or sounding your best. They can affect your the way you eat, the way you swallow, and the way things go down the tube. One of the most health conscious groups of performers are actually dancers, and on Broadway currently, and for the last I think thirty or forty years, the union puts in the contract if there's dancing in the show, there has to be a physical therapist. Not like dancing, oh. but available yeah. for the dancers. <laughs> no, that that makes a ton of sense. So just like uh, you know, in any kind of sports ball event, you have to have trainers available on both sides, as well as well. In those cases, there are also doctors, uh, kind of ready to go in case there are acute injuries. I'm guessing you don't need that for theater, but um, the parallel for having a physical therapist or or a trainer on you know on board hopefully with staff you know like massage therapists and stuff not on staff necessarily but uh there are a group at least in new york of physicians who volunteer as performance medics along with emts 
Um, oh, they do, do not attend every performance, but they are essentially on call to the theater if something happens to cast, crew, or audience. Um, but when you're looking at a lot of things that stage managers have to work with, remember, it's $30,000 just to replace the HEPA filters. And a yeah. Broadway show may not have a lot of budget left after after that. So, And now the union has to require a physical therapist. So let's look at the injuries. The majority of dance injuries tend to be from the knee down if you're dealing with ballet or modern dance. But if you have heavy head pieces or wigs, like in Hairspray, that puts torque on the neck. Shows with puppets, like Avenue Q, they have to do repeated things with their hands. And doing that many, you can end up with wrist sprains or, uh, in some cases, even dislocated if a turn is taken too fast during dancing with puppets. Wow. Yeah. On bring in the noise, bring in the funk. You have to mic the shoes because people were stomping so hard they were straining and breaking their ankles. Ooh. Oh, in fact, gentlemen, you, you know, there is a fracture called the dancer's fracture. Oh, I, I don't think I've heard of that one. Um, the dancer's fracture is a evolution fracture of the fifth metatarsal. It's a foot fracture. Precisely because, like Dr. Josh uh, alluded to, modern dance and ballet, you are tiptoeing, sometimes on one foot, creating an incredible amount of torque on that, just that one little weakest link in the chain, and it can evolve that, that, that bone. Wow. Most of the time, it's, it's housewives and me tripping and <laughs> off a curb causing that, but I, okay. I tell my patients, hey, you know what, my dear, you have a dancer's fracture. Okay, okay. I, I'm sure there are other mechanisms for it, but that that's the classical one, Ward? Correct. It's a belly, got it, got it's it, a belly it. injury, yeah. I have actually, in, when I was doing pediatrics and you know taking care of kids occasionally who were like phenoms in music and this kind of a thing, overuse injuries a lot. So, you know, a, a person would lose their voice, a kid would lose their voice because they didn't do vocal rest, um, especially if a kid was playing an instrument wrong, meaning like they were contorting their body the wrong way to try to play and they were never taught properly. <laughs> they could really cause some bad soreness, uh, you know, in a, in a wrist, elbow, shoulder or something like that and cause some bad overuse injuries. There is a lot of different kinds of injuries you can get and Clearly, medicine is much more integrated into the theater than you might have thought originally. Uh, and we're really just talking about musical theater and Broadway. Being crew in a theater is a lot like being on a construction site. You have yeah. electrical injuries, solvents, painting, you know, falling wood, and of course, the curse of phantoms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ward, have you seen any? Uh, have you seen any performance injuries during your tenure as either an ER physician or as a performer? Have you seen any audience members get injured while you were performing, and what does that do to the show? Does the show go on? Well, um, audience member. So you're not supposed to touch audience members in most shows. Uh, the fourth <laughs> wall is. Not strictly enforced, but um, in experimental theater, you don't. But um, yeah, I've actually, as a physician, I've taken care of um, stagehands, and um, I've took care. Of, I took care of a. Uh, I I can't. I won't say the name of the performance group, but a circus act that does some pretty impressive um, circus work. And some once in a while, they fall, 
and the poor performer still had a big smile painted on his face. Oh, when he saw me, yikes. poor guy. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> I was like, "Oh, is he smiling? No, he's not. He's <laughs> on the inside." Oh, that's. That makes me kind of sad, though. They're actually, when you do blinking or strobing lights, um, you have to actually, you cannot broadcast uh, them at certain frequencies because our brains, inside of a, a particular range of blinking frequency, are very vulnerable. Even if you have no epilepsy at all, um, to actually going into a, a seizure. So, but even working outside of those frequencies, if a person does have epilepsy, then they're more vulnerable to, to getting set off from one of those. And usually there's a warning or something, right? In the program or yeah. something like that. But the show will go on. The show <laughs> will go on. Most shows yeah. go on. For better or worse. <laughs> Fortunately, most of the time that that doesn't happen, and um, the the drama is on stage. And uh, I, yeah. I prefer it that way. <laughs> I try not to tell people that I'm in the medical profession when anywhere, I'm anywhere near uh, the performance space because I want to focus. <laughs> I'm just on. imagining: is there a doctor in the house? And Ward just sighs and steps out of character. Uh, Why is Mufasa and, giving and... CPR? <laughs> the lion's trying to eat that man. Yeah. No, 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 it's just CPR. Mouth to mouth. Yeah. Well, Jimmy. <laughs> the lion. <laughs> so as we talked about Medicine the Musical, if you were making a medical musical, what is the title of one of the songs? You don't have to sing it, although you certainly can. But what is the title <laughs> of one of the songs in your show? I Googled it would be a one of those anta- you know, uh, antagonist songs. <laughs> Oh, the oh, <laughs> like all, WebMD. All minor chords and <laughs> singing in rasp. A similar number in my head, Ward, but rather than I Googled it, I was calling it noncompliance. Oh, no. Tragedy. <laughs> oh, you guys, you guys are, are talking about very, uh, you know, kind of dark uh, kind of well, stuff. Well, that's, that's in the middle one of the opening show songs would be help me doctor uh, oh, or no, no 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 one of the opening show songs would be time to breathe oh okay okay gotcha that's that sounds good i like that um yeah uh i i kind of like the pun um like get that infection out of here I don't know. I'm trying to like get like leave the in and the that's out. That's a punchline, Santos. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> oh no, but that would be oh, yeah. that could be a good yeah. That could be a good um like a catchphrase in in that song. Uh, yeah, um, it, get that infection out of here. Get that infection out of here. Yeah. I think Lin Manuel Miranda has written enough musicals. Okay. Oh man, I would love for Lin Manuel Miranda to get a little bit into the. Uh, Actually, he would be good for this. Yeah, honestly, the, the musical. Know. Sure, the medical musical. The respirator space. does the beep, the rhythmic beep, beep, uh, yeah. <laughs> beep. You know, drip, drip, drip. Yeah, and the monitors oh. are going drip, 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 and the yeah. infections are beeping, and they have C diff. I'm sick <laughs> of all the various injections, man. I just wish they'd get out with this infection. Oh, damn! Drop the beat. <laughs> well, perhaps, gentlemen, one of those days we'll do a podcast in musical form. 
<laughs> we did season three. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alzheimer is setting, settling in for the yeah. <laughs> word. Did it we was... really? We had a rap battle. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. We did. <laughs> but I'm talking about you. You know, were what? there. I... So, uh, listening good. audience, what's the name of the medical Broadway song you'd like to see? And uh, <laughs> we'll we'll try. We'll see if in a future episode we can get a com- a couple of them out there. Um, but that's it for this week. As always, we love to hear your comments, questions, and feedback. If you'd like to support us spiritually, emotionally, or financially, links to do that are in the show notes, along with links for further reading. Uh, if you like this, tell people about it. That's how we make more. <laughs> um, the show is produced by me with a lot of help from Dr. Santosh Warden friends. Our theme music is composed by Rachel Leisure. Oh, wait! Fever Mountain Penicillin. <laughs> and until <laughs> next time <laughs> keep a song in your heart soap on your hands a shot in your arm then put a spin on the globe and when you found somewhere that looks interesting happy travels fly safe Yay, happy travels deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 